Thank you for joining us today at River City Church, a church living in love. If you have a prayer need, would like to speak to a pastor, or have questions about today's message, please email us at info at rivercitysmyrna.com. For more information or to give to the ministries of River City Church, please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. God clear to me that this was the message I needed to be sharing this morning. Um, you know, some of you were here last time I talked about the ide our identity in Christ, and one of those identity statements was that we're all children of God. Um, but what does that mean to you, if anything, right? More importantly, what does the Lord want you to understand that to mean? Um, hopefully we can leave here today with a little better understanding of what that means for each of us. Um, our family story involves what many of us think about when I use the word adoption, right? The actual adopting of a child. Um, and I want to share a little bit of, well, I want to share that story in a little more detail this morning. Um, so some, uh, sometime in 2000, this is a long time ago, um, Jen and I decided to start a family. We, uh, we'd been a family, actually, you know, as a couple. Um, but we were married almost seven years at that time, and we decided we wanted um, to try to have children. Um, we'd lived through two degree, advanced degree programs for me. We sur we'd survived that. We'd come on the other side of that. Um, so we decided to try to have a baby the traditional way. Um, long story short, we were unsuccessful in that department. Um, so after about five years, 2005, um, with way too much unsuccess for anyone's psyche, we decided to go the adoption route. Um, rather than spend you know, 10 grand on shots and um, procedures that may or may not work, um, we decided to put that money into the adoption process. Um, we looked into the costs of that thing, and there are many, right? There's a, there's a fee for the adoption itself. There's a fee for the lawyers to make it legal. Uh, there, in some cases, there's fees for the birth mother's medical expenses or living expenses. There's a fee for the home study to verify that you're capable of being a parent. Um, there may be travel expenses depending upon where you're adopting from. Um, we, this was a, do, a domestic situation. You know, we've got friends that have done the foreign, the international adoption route, and that's at a whole other level of fees. There's just a 
blank load of fees to get this thing done. Um, it's a racket, really, when you look at, at the grand total and consider what some of the fees are actually for. But um, All right, so we decided to adopt. Now we need to figure out how we're going to do this. So we found an, ad an adoption consultant. And we started, we started by visiting her. She had an informational meeting. We visited. We liked what, what we heard. Um, she was giving us information about how her process had worked. She had been in the business for about 15 years. She had adopted her own two kids. So she had a lot of experience with uh, working with agencies in different states and all that, all the things, all the questions we had she could answer. And she dispelled a lot of the myths about adoption for us. So in the second week of November 2005, we had our first meeting with her. Um, we met at her house. She has her office in her basement, which I was like, eh, okay, well. Um, but we, we went, and she um, had her stuff together. Um, she gave us all the information we needed. But one of the first things we did was we did a tolerance inventory, okay? This is not to determine how many drinks it takes you to, to cross that threshold. This is, it asks, you know, what aspects in the birth parent's family are you willing to accept? Will you tolerate, okay? Black, white, Hispanic, Asian, mixed, heart disease, drug use, marijuana, cocaine, heroin, cancer, smoker, alcohol use, abuse, sickle cell trait, HIV, the inventory went on and on and on. You check off boxes. Tough issues to consider. It makes you think hard about uh, how much you want a child and how bigoted you really are. The kicker is that the more you tolerate, the quicker you'll match um, with a birth mother. So before we left that first meeting, we scheduled the second meeting for early December. Um, and I wrote a check for half of her fee. Um, but when we left Marsh after that first meeting, we had a couple of assignments. First, we had to get moving on our home study with the social worker, and then we had to get our profile done. A profile is it's marketing materials on me and Jen. So we had, a couple, we had some friends, Mike and Sabrina Moon, who go here. Um, Mike's a photographer, and Sabrina was a killer scrapbook maker. So she helped us with this profile um, to describe ourselves. So um, the way this process typically works as described to us was birth mothers would get these profiles and they would leave through them and if they felt comfortable with what they saw and what they read um, they would consider you um, for uh, for their adopted to, to adopt their child so we created this um, and they put it together I mean it was it's fantastic I still have it um, it's just it's it's great no one could market us better than they did um, so uh, at the second meeting in, October, in December, we, went, we met with Marcia and we gave her the profile. Um, we let her know we were moving forward with the home study. Jen had contacted the, the social worker that she had given us. And Marcia gave us a, a, chalk, a, a binder full of information about six adoption agencies to consider. Um, we were looking for states that had relatively short or no revocation um, periods. Um, and the idea was we would select one of these agencies and we would work with them. Um, over the coming months, you know, we would we would match with a birth mother, and then we would walk with her through her pregnancy, and then she would give birth, and all that stuff would happen. That's the usual way, and that's not how it worked out for us. Um, over the next couple of weeks in December that year, we finished our three meetings with the social worker. Um, we needed to have that done um, I, on Christmas Day that, that that year. We spent the bulk of the time at my parents' house. Um, with all our relatives. It was a fun day, but we came home late and we just slept in on the 26th thinking we would just have a nice lazy day. That was not the case. 
So sometime after lunch on the 26th, Jen decided to check her email. Um, she'd received an email the night before from Marsha, the consultant, um, close to midnight. And she was forwarding an email she had received from an agency, adoption agency out west, um, about a baby that was in the hospital in Florida who was going to be placed in, in their defect system. So she's reading this email. I'm in the living room reading the paper, as you do in, in 2005. <laughs> um, like a hard copy paper. Um, and she kind of calls out from the office, you know, like, uh, hey, Bill, you're not going to believe this. Um, so she reads the email, um, I re and then I read the email, and I kind of stared back at her, kind of in disbelief. And, uh, you know, so she says, what do you think? And I said, well, call her and see what she says. So Jen called. So the consultant gave Jen the contact information for the agency out west, uh, and Jen called the woman, and uh, she had a little bit more information, but not much. It was a baby boy. Uh, both of his parents are Hispanic. Um, and she had been on the phone with a couple on Christmas Day, and they had passed on him because both of his birth parents were Hispanic. And she said, and I'm talking to another couple currently, and I think they're going to do the same thing, but I'll let you know. So Jen and I talked for a little bit, and we were fine with the Hispanic background, didn't care at all. But we didn't know anything about his birth mother's background, his, the medical background. Had she gotten any prenatal care? Did she have any drug use? Was she an alcoholic? You know, what's the mental health history of her parents? Who knows all that? We couldn't get that information before the agency would want us to make a call. So we moved ahead on faith. That this was what the Lord wanted us to have and everything else would be taken care of. Um, so Jen called the woman back and said, let us know um, if the second couple turns him down. So I immediately went online and I'm looking for a flight to the Florida, to Florida, to the area where he is, to see if I can find something to get one or both of us there by six o'clock that night. No dice. There's no flights to that area. So I found one seat uh, nearby. So Jen, I got Jen that seat. She could rent a car and drive over. Um, uh, and then we just had to wait. Um, but you know, if this is going to happen, we really need some stuff because we had we had a bassinet and a swing, and that's not enough stuff. So we went to Target. So at Target, we went to the baby area and we looked at the car seats. Got it, got a car seat. Then we started looking at bottles and formula. Too many options. Um, so Jen called a couple of her friends, Amy Fritchman and Misty Eldridge, to get their input. What bottles, what formula? Then the other line rang. Here it comes. Dang it. It was the adoption agency. It's highlighted because I knew this was going to happen. The second couple said no. He's yours if you want him. Okay. Excitement, fear, joy, all of that. In the aisle, in Target, with a bunch of strangers around looking for crap. <laughs> okay, so then the Target Mad Dash. Bottles, formula, t-shirts, onesies, socks. Pacifiers, diapers, wipes, lotion, baby powder, butt cream, <laughs> blankets, towels, on and on. We, get, we packed a bunch of crap, $400 worth of stuff in this red Target buggy. Okay, so the agency, though, needed our home study. Oops. We didn't have that final report done. So Jen called the social worker. No answer. Jen left a voicemail. We went home. Um, 
the ticket that I had gotten Jen wasn't going to get us to the hospital by six. So Jen called to make arrangements. The agency made arrangements to keep him for an extra night. Um, the, the social worker then later, Jen called the social worker again, no answer. Then the social worker called her back from her plane. She had just landed back from, because social workers take Christmas vacation too. She had just landed, got her voicemail, and said, I'm going straight to the office. I'll print the report and get it done. Um, but she need, before she could do that, she needed my medical exam. This is where it does not pay to be a procrastinator. Who's going to give me a physical on a Sunday? Um, ah, I know. Jen's OB. <laughs> because we went to church with him anyway at Riverstone. So I called him. Sure, meet, meet me at the office. So I go to Jen's OB. Jen goes to the airport. We would reconnect in Florida. So at the OB's office, as you can imagine, I got some weird looks when the nurse came in the room and I'm sitting there. And the doc's like, it's okay, he's supposed to be here. We're just going to give him a physical. So got most of the physical done, couldn't do the TB test. I'd get that done when I could. Um, so I go back home, I grab all the Target stuff, I throw it in the car, I run to the office, I pick up some stuff that I had to do. Um, I was practicing law at the time, so I'm pulling case files and throwing them in a bag. Um, and I sent a mass email to everybody saying what was going on. Some of the folks in the office had known what we were doing, so they were kind of prepped for it. But then I, um, then I got in the car and I headed down 75 south. And I've driven into the, in the wee hours of the morning before, but I've never on this much energy, never this up. Uh, my Blackberry was going off. Blackberries also were like phones. It's 2005. <laughs> um, they had the full keyboard. You didn't have to press three times to get a letter. Um, it was really easy. So I get to the hotel about 4 a.m., and I fell asleep. About 9, I got up, um, found a, a workers' comp clinic that was just down the street from the hotel that could do my TB test. I went and got the TB test, um, went back to the hotel to wait. So we're waiting in the hotel. Around lunchtime, the attorney's office calls and uh, said they'd like us to be at the hospital around 4.30. She said the birth mother might want to go to dinner with us. And I was like, hmm, I'm not crazy about that idea. Um, I'd just rather pick the baby up and start on with our life. Um, but as the day went on, we kind of softened. Um, and if she wants to meet us, we can do that. We'd have the rest of our lives to be with this baby, and she deserves the chance to meet us. So eventually, that, that those hours seemed like forever, but enough time passed, and it was 4.30. So we go to the hospital and we wait in the maternity lobby. The attorney comes out. She has a bunch of paperwork for us to sign. The birth mother had signed her side of the paperwork, revoking her rights. Um, but what about the birth father, I asked. And she said, well, he's not available to revoke. He was in Panama. And the attorneys would have to go through the process of noticing him to, see, to um, give him the opportunity to come forward if he wanted to. Okay. I'd have preferred to have a little more closure on that. My J was coming out a little bit there. Um, that's Myers-Briggs reference. Um, so we signed all the paperwork. She said the, she's, she's back there with him now. She's feeding him. So we signed the paperwork, and we walked back to the room. So when we walked in, she's sitting on the bench seat, and she's feeding him a bottle. Jen sat down next to them, and I stood looking at the baby. I'm, I'll admit it. I'm checking him out. Everything there, all the parts, um, and everything appeared to be just fine. He was beautiful in his stocking cap, sucking on the bottle, so at peace. Um, she asked Jen if, if she wanted to hold him, and she did. 
and the woman started to tell her story. So she was in her 30s, and she was from Panama. She had three kids already. Her mother lived with her in Florida, and her father lived in Panama, and she would occasionally go to visit him. So she went out one night. She met a guy. Um, they did more than dancing, and she got pregnant. Um, she didn't tell the guy because she didn't know him. Um, his work kept him sort of nomadic. He wasn't from her area. She didn't know who he was. She'd never seen him when she went back. Um, so she had never told him. Um, she hadn't heard from him or seen him since. Um, we found out later that she had returned to Panama on a regular basis and gotten prenatal care every time she'd gone back. So, um, but what we also found out was she didn't tell anybody about her pregnancy. She was planning to move her family to a new school district and a new house, and another child was going to complicate that. So she managed to go through the entire pregnancy without telling anybody or showing anyone that she was pregnant. On Christmas Eve, she was at a party, and she felt the contractions start. She got up. She drove herself to the hospital. She had the baby. Ninety minutes later, she signed a release. They gave her some Tylenol, and she went back to the party so that no one would know she had been missing. So she, uh, on Christmas Day... She went on the internet to find an adoption agency. She had not even, she had, she had made the decision to do the adoption, but she'd never gone about trying to find it out because she didn't want to reveal what she was doing. So she, on Christmas Day, she gets on the internet to find an adoption agency. And she called one in Florida, and there was no answer because they were closed for the day. So she just kept calling, and then that's how she ended up with one in, out west, that somebody answered her phone call. And that agency had worked with our consultant over the years, and so she knew to, you know, if she had something, she could send out an email to people she knew and said, do you have a couple that matches? And our profile was sitting on top of her desk. When that email came, Okay, so we sit there with her, we hear her story, we thanked her for making the decision she'd made, entrusting us with him. After sitting with us for about 30 minutes, she, felt, she said she felt happy, she felt like she made the right decision. Um, she took one of the stocking caps and his footprints on a card, and she walked out the door after we hugged her. Um, I do hope that she felt a peace about her decision as she left. Mm, the strength to do that. Uh, all right, so the nurse gave us a quick lesson in diaper changing and feeding. The attorney gave us a little information about what was the next step in the process. Uh, and then they let us leave the hospital with this kid. They just gave it gave him to us and let us walk out the door. Uh, so we went back to the, ho to the hotel, we got some pizza, we made phone calls, and then we put him on the bed and we just stared at him. <laughs> Did this just happen? Uh, so we had to stay in Florida for, um, for a while, well, for, for a few days. The state of Florida had to approve the adoption, and then Georgia had to approve it to let us in the state um, and that could take seven to ten days. So we had, um, 
I got, I went and got my TB results, no TB. Um, so the final part of my medical exam was done, faxed out to the social worker, now the home study was complete. We went to Babies R Us because we hadn't registered for anything, um, despite our friend's encouragement to do so. Um, we spent most of the week in the hotel room. Um, I went to the bank to arrange for the wiring of money for the adoption fee. They made a ton of money for three days of work, I can tell you that. Um, we took Keegan to his first restaurant, Romano's Macaroni Grill. <laughs> he slept through the whole thing. Um, on Thursday of that week, uh, we found out that, that Florida had given its approval, and we had to wait, and that information was forwarded to Georgia, and we had to wait for Georgia's approval. Uh, on Friday around lunchtime, I called and I said any word they hadn't heard yet. Um, and if they didn't hear on Friday, the courts would be closed on Monday because of the holiday and they would have to wait till Tuesday. So I'm thinking uh, three more days in the hotel. Well, at two, the phone rang. It was the attorney. Georgia had given verbal consent, so we were free to go. So I rushed to the front desk of the hotel. I'm like, hey, I know it's after checkout, but can we go? Because we just adopted this child and we need to get back home. And they were like, absolutely. So... Um, but we, it was too far to drive, it was too late in the day to drive the whole way. So we stopped in Gainesville, visited a couple of my friends, uh, our friends there, um, Greg and Stephanie. Stephanie was in med school at the time studying pediatrics, so we made her check him out again. Um, check him out, everything, everything checked out, he was fine. It was good to get a second opinion. And then on Saturday we, we headed home. When we arrived home, we were completely blown away because Amy and Misty had gone to our house. They had taken down our Christmas decorations and put them away. They went to Babies R Us and picked up the crib we'd ordered, put it together. They picked up the changing table. They painted his room, decorated it, um, and they were all there waiting for us when we got home. Four months later, we had a telephonic hearing with a Florida State Court judge who finalized the adoption for us, and everything was legal from that point. Today, Today is 10 years to the day that we picked him up. A decade seems like a long time, but it feels just like yesterday that we took him home and brought him to the Union Hall on South Loop where Riverstone was meeting at the time. We dedicated him in that Union Hall too. All right. <clears throat> Now for the biblical stuff. All right. So Keegan's story reminds me time and again about who I am as an adopted child of God and what that means. All right. Our scripture for today is Galatians 4, 4 through 7. It should be up there. Here we go. One, what was it? One more before we come. I'll, I'll read it up here to make sure I'm reading the same version. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this word. We thank you for your move of, this, of your spirit to prompt me to change my message, to bring this message today, to remind me of what today means. Um, 
I thank you for the reminder of who you are and whose we are. Lord, bless, um, bless the reading of this scripture today. Um, please speak to your people. Amen. Okay. I could have picked a dozen verse, verses to declare to you, that declared that you are children of God. But I settled on this one, these verses to start with. And you can Google them. You can find as many as you, as you need to prove to yourself whose you are. But my prayer is that you will stop trying to prove yourself worthy of the gift that the Lord has for you. We just celebrated Advent and Christmas. We lit candles. They're gone now. We lit candles. We decorated Christmas trees. Trees. Tree. Some of us decorated in true Clark Griswold fashion. <clears throat> um, we shared Christmas dinner with our cousin Eddie's. Some of us may be cousin Eddie in our families. We opened presents. We practiced gluttony for the kingdom to give the Lord something else to wipe clean. That's a joke, not a judgment. We talked here for four weeks about hope, peace, joy, and love that we groan for and that the baby Jesus, Emmanuel, represents and whose coming we celebrate on the same day in December each year. But the reality we often miss, myself included, is that Jesus humbled himself to walk among us as a toddler, child, teenager, and man, ultimately to sacrifice himself for all who would believe he is who he said he is, the Son of God, and the Son of Man, as that term was understood by the people of his time, the Messiah. That's the message Paul is trying to deliver here in Galatians 4. He recounts the whole story of Jesus and his purpose in coming in these four verses. Jesus descended from heaven to put himself under the law to fulfill the law and to redeem us from the law. His sacrifice on the cross and resurrection that we celebrate at Easter does just that. And in so doing, the law could no longer banish us from him. Our ability to perform the requirements of the law does not result in righteousness or access. And likewise, our inability to meet those obligations does not keep us from relationship with him. I'm going to say that again. Our ability to perform the requirements of the law does not result in righteousness or access. Even the things that we, be, we create to make law, right? The things that we will not do, we can't do, we shouldn't do, all those shoulds and oughts. Our ability to perform those does not result in righteousness or access. And likewise, our inability to meet those obligations does not keep us from relationship with him. Think about it this way. Even after we enter into relationship with Jesus and access his grace in the most important sense, the law can still jump up and make us question, right, if we are truly saved. Am I truly different? Do I truly believe? But we can take heart in the reality that Christ abolished the law in his birth and death and resurrection. Remember, it was the law that accused and tried and crucified Jesus, too, and he triumphed over it. It has lost its influence over you. So when we have those moments of doubt and question if we are in right standing, we must turn to the one who triumphed in our stead and beg anew for the revelation that we are redeemed and forgiven. Galatians 4.6, Because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. There are so many things about this verse that hit me. Because we are sons, because we are sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts. Right? In 1 Corinthians 3.16, you know, it, it says we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, each of us who believes in Christ. How can that be? Because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. We are washed white as snow, as the psalmist said. 
That is the power of God's gift of grace that he bestows on us continually. I love how Martin Luther talked about this gift. This is Martin Luther speaking. This, or writing, writing. This inner assurance of the grace of God is accompanied by outward indications such as gladly to hear, preach, praise, and to confess Christ, to do one's duty in the station in which God has placed us, to aid the needy, and to comfort the sorrowing. These are the affidavits of the Holy Spirit, testifying to our favorable standing with God. If we could be fully persuaded that we are in the good grace of God, that our sins are forgiven, that we have the Spirit of Christ, that we are the beloved children of God, we would be ever so happy and grateful to God. But because we often feel fear and doubt, we cannot come to that happy certainty. Train your conscience to believe that God approves of you. Fight it out with doubt. Gain assurance through the word of God. Say, I am all right with God. I have the Holy Spirit. Christ in whom I do believe makes me worthy. I gladly hear, read, sing, and write of him. All right, and Galatians 4, 6 talks about Abba, Father. The spirit of of the Son in our hearts cries, Abba, Father. And these words demonstrate two things for me. First, the juxtaposition of the Aramaic Abba and the Greek Father, side by side there, pronounce the coming of Christ for everyone, for all, Jew and Gentile alike, circumcised and uncircumcised, whatever metaphor you want to use. He came to make sons and daughters for all who believe in him. Second, and perhaps most important, more importantly, the use of the word crying, I don't think is accidental in those verses. Right? God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit cries out, Abba, Father. In Romans 8, 26 to 27, Paul describes the groaning of the Holy Spirit that intercedes on our behalf. In the same, and I'll read that to you. In the same way, the spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. So when we are at our weakest and feel like everything is against us and cannot see a way out, the Spirit of the Son cries, Abba, Father, on our behalf. The mere utterance of the cry to the Father speaks volumes that we cannot come up with when we cannot come up with the words to describe how badly we need Him. All right, watch this to get a glimpse of the power of that cry.
I shouldn't have watched it as I was waiting. <laughs> the power of our cry, Abba Father, overpowers the fear and doubt of the world, the law, and Satan that gets thrown at us constantly. It may come out of us as a feeble cry, but it is heard in heaven as a shout above the din of the fear and doubt that plague us. The cry, Abba, Father, also speaks to the relationship, our relationship with Christ, like the commercial, right? Those children cry out that one word to the one they know will come when they call. And with only the one word, the Father knows what is needed by the one who cries out. Now note in the verse, it's also talking, the cry is literally the cry of the Son. It's Jesus' cry. Remember when Jesus was in the garden and cried out, Abba, Father, to take this cup, but not my will, thy will be done. And when he was on the cross and uttered the words, Father, please forgive them, for they know not what they do. We are sons in the same sense. We have access to the same spirit of the Son in our hearts to cry out to God when we find ourselves in our own gardens or hurt by someone who may or may not fully understand how they've hurt us and, are, and we're trying to forgive them anyway. We can cry out in those moments just as Jesus did. We can forgive the unforgivable. We can accept the things of his will that seem too hard for us to bear. All right, go, let's look Galatians 4, 7 real quick. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. Sons are heirs not because of anything they do, but merely by virtue of their birth as sons. As adopted sons of Christ, we obtain the eternal gifts of salvation, resurrection, and abundant life. We are beneficiaries of Christ, right? A beneficiary is a legal term, right? If you get an inheritance, when someone dies, if you're a beneficiary of that will, you get it. You didn't do anything about it except that they wrote your name down and said, give it to them. We're beneficiaries of Christ. But it can be hard to hold on to that, which is why we need the continued intercession of the Spirit of the Son in our hearts to help and comfort us to wage war on the fears and doubts that prevent us from living out our identities in Christ. Now, we have a tendency to overthink things. We can rationalize our sins to ignore how destructive they can be. We can also let our fears overpower us. The reality of being heirs is that all the riches of the Father are available to us, but also my Father's enemies are my enemies. We're not talking about being an heir of the Kennedys or Henry VIII. We're talking about being an heir of the King of Kings. So while we know the enemies that wage against him and us, we know that he's already overcome the power of sin and death. And being an heir of that kind of power pales in comparison to any suffering we may encounter. And the spirit of the Son that dwells in our hearts cries out for us when we simply have no energy to do so, to intercede on our behalf, to get us through whatever trial we may be encountering. That gives us hope the hope we are, we're groaning for during Advent. When I think about Keegan's adoption, I'm reminded of my own adoption into the family of faith. Keegan did nothing to earn his way into our family. I did nothing to earn my way into my relationship with the Lord. We didn't test Keegan out first to see if he was worthy of being a member of our family. We accepted him as he was and brought him into our house. He has access to everything that we have. We comfort him when he is down, and we celebrate with him when he triumphs. When he cries out for us, we come. Jen and I prayed over Keegan before he even came to be a part of our family. We pursued Keegan before he even knew who we were. 
and Jesus pursues us before we turn to him as well. We continue to pray for Keegan for and against things that he doesn't yet comprehend, the hurts that he cannot fully express. Jesus does the same thing for each of us who are called children of God. That is the spirit of adoption that is available to all of us. Now, as many of you know, we're participating currently in the foster system, and people have stopped us periodically to encourage us. Often they say things like, I couldn't do that, or you and Jen are so special to take that on. I appreciate the encouragement, and Jen does too, but we are not special. Jesus is special, and only the Spirit of the Son gets us through many days as we maneuver the obstacles associated with being foster parents. It's hard. We give each other pep talks. But we constantly ask Jesus to help us, to give us wisdom, to give us patience, to give us his heart for them. That's the spirit of adoption that perseveres through the tough times of doing his will. It's the same power that propels the young married couple to stick it out and fight for their marriage when they could cut and run. It's the same power that gets a single mom up every morning to go to work. It's the same power that propels you to reach out to a parent whose addiction interfered with their ability to parent and maybe continues to interfere with their ability to relate to you in a healthy way. It's the power that propels you to obey the call of the Lord to create more space and time for your family by saying no to something that the world would jump at the chance for. That's the spirit of adoption. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you came among us, that you humbled yourself to walk our walk, to relate to us in a real way. And I thank you that you've opened up your kingdom to us in every way. I pray that we would leave here reminded of that with new revelation of what that means for us on a daily basis. The things we think are insurmountable are never insurmountable. You are constantly present. You are constantly seeking us. You are constantly after us. You are constantly crying out on our behalf. And we are so thankful for that. We're gonna have, uh, the prayer teams want to come up and pray. We're, we're going to have um, prayer teams up here to pray with you. I feel like there are three groups of people in the room. People who want to become an adopted son or daughter of Jesus. I think that's one group. I think there's another group of people who constantly fight with the reality of their identity in Christ and need some reassurance, right? To paraphrase what Martin Luther said, you are all right with God. You have the Holy Spirit. Christ in whom you believe makes you worthy. If that's you and you need that reassurance, that reminder, that fresh breath of the Holy Spirit, please come up. And I think there's another group of people who want to live under that live daily that spirit of adoption moving forward and want the Lord to show them how he wants to use them in this coming year. We're finishing up 2015. 2016 is coming. The Lord has mighty things for us to do. Ask him what he wants you to do.
Thank you again for joining us today, and please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.